This is the one with Jed, Sven and Wolf. Tory Brummy Santa. A chap with his arm stuck in a turkey. Not mum and dad. Obviously. And low energy Paolo Panini. It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> Here we go. Reviewing audiobooks now too, cause we love our Doctor Who. Encountering we're in time of dark, Daleks FaceTime Anglan Rock. Starlet films are awful, that's the TARDIS way. We're a punk in a Mary's K. That's Kane with a K. Who back when? Reviewing all the poo there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes please. Audiobook by audiobook, even those are gobbledygook. We'll, we'll review them all you see, so join us on this odyssey. It's who back when? Who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, and all in between and beyond, welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Dogcast. This episode is A021. That's right. Death in Blackpill. Blackpill. There you go. <laughs> From the Northwest. The Northwest. I can't do it. Oof. North. I'm just going to, I'm going to rattle off a few of my terrible accents in this episode. I apologize in advance. Yeah, so see you next week, most of the audience. <laughs> the rest of you, welcome to two or three punishing hours as we tour the outer regions of the UK and basically infuriate everyone. <laughs> Who are you? I am Drew Backwen. Hello, Drew Backwen. And you are? I'm Leon, hello. Oh, thanks for... You know. Elucidating us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, an audio, eh? That's right. But Why? Because it's Christmas. Yes, this is the start of a Christmassy themed week in Who Back When. That's right. In May. Death in Blackpool. Possibly the great detective. We'll see. Definitely the snowmen. And possibly some Christmas in May bloopers? Very, very possibly. Ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> yeah, forget those rising temperatures, podcast land. It's one last gasp of feeling festive before Brexit. This is the who back when effort to counteract global warming. <laughs> <laughs> so we're recording this in, uh, well, in May, as you said. At the end, after this episode, there was a little interview with some of the actors. And did you hear? Did you? Of course, to- I did because I did my homework like a good co-host. Excellent. And they recorded this Christmas episode in September. So we are no more false than these charlatans. Exactly. So Big Finish, if you're listening, we are able to transpose ourselves in time and record something entirely, wholly anachronistic. Yeah. Just bear that in mind. We are transcending time and or space right now (laughs) through the medium of audio. Yes, this is not live. So. (laughs) (laughs) Should we jump into a B-scale? Shall we? Let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, lobify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all. We like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? On their way to celebrate Christmas 2009 with Lucy Miller's family, Lucy and the Eighth Doctor encounter Auntie Pat of Horror of Glam Rock and Zygon who fell to Earth fame, as well as a suicidal alcoholic compulsive singer claiming to be Father Christmas. So all is right in the world, that is, until Lucy gets plopped in a coal mine and a hit and run by an inconspicuous canary yellow hot rod that she never saw coming. But she's not quite ready to give up her ghost just yet. That will take some convincing. Enter stage left, Billy the Porter, Zynog asshat and body-squatting psychopath, whose current mission involves scraping clean Lucy's mind hole so that he can take her body for a spin. Bisco over, you are welcome. Aren't you just? (laughs) Right, so you are 
teasing me with any number of questions. Yeah, I, I do have an introductory question for you based on something you said before we pressed record. Because I just won't shut up. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? It's not making things worse for yourself. <laughs> no, 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 no. You'll see where I'm getting with this. So, Auntie Pat. Yes. She's human, right? Well, I mean, I, hmm, there's a lot going on there. I Yes. No. No? She is not. <laughs> she is Hagath. Or Ho- Hagoth. Hogath? I apologize. Hey- My Zygon is terrible. Hagoth? 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 I wrote down Hagoth as right. well, but I, I, I don't <laughs> think there's an R in there. Um, to be honest, Lord I, think, Hager. Hager? Yeah. I, I think the actors themselves put their own unique spin on it. That's very possible. Yeah. So this is the third time that we've encountered Auntie Pats. Slash uh, Hagarth. Uh, second time we've encountered Hagarth. Oh. So we, we encountered Auntie Pats. The first time was, I, I think, in the very first uh, Eighth Doctor Adventure. No, the second Eighth Doctor Adventure. that we Horror watched. of Glam Rock. That's right, yes. And that was Auntie Pat's Auntie Pat. That was young Auntie Pat's, uh, in spoilers, in that episode or in that audiobook. At a certain point, Lucy realizes, oh shit, you're Pat Ryder. You're my aunt. Like, you will grow up to be my aunt. Yeah. Is, is her surname intentional, by the way? Pat it, Ryder. It, it seems like, like she did a lot of riding. Pat Ryder, I, I mean, I, I feel 73% sure there's a porn star by that name. Yeah. Because in this, she's not only riding a bike... But oh, yeah. people are riding in on the bike with her, who she will later be riding. <laughs> yes, that's right. And she will. She confesses to having ridden a number of people, mm. most of the nineteen seventies, apparently. So, so, <laughs> so she's she's human Pat Ryder in Horror of Glam Rock. Simple. Fast forward to the Zygon who fell to Earth when a Zygon falls to Earth uh, and fucks things up for everyone. Ish, uh-huh. yeah. Auntie Pat is now running uh, like a and I, I thought you were going to say drug cartel. I am <laughs> She's running a drug cartel in she- the Lake District. <laughs> <laughs> hey, county lines, that's no joke. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'm pretty sure it is in the Lake District because there'll be a scarison. There'll be, uh, you know, the, the milking dinosaur of the Zygons will like Loch Ness Monster in one of the lakes. But yeah, anyway, so she's running a and b which she used to run with her boyfriend or husband or whatever. And it turns out her boyfriend, husband, this is all spoilers for Zygon Who Fell to Earth. Boyfriend, husband, transitory penis. Slash Zygon. Right. And she died. I can't remember how, but she, or no, sorry, maybe she fell into a coma. However it worked. He, you know, Zygons mimic, like take over other people's features, basically. They assume other people's identities. So her boyfriend slash husband basically continued her legacy out of love for her became her, assumed the identity of Auntie Pat. Mm-hmm. And so the Auntie Pat that Lucy Miller grew up with has always been a Zygon. It has never been the adult or older version of the person we met in the very first Horror of Glam Rock. Right, I see. I think that this was a more fluid answer in my mind than that is a Zygon posing as a human because this Zygon is entering into difficulties. It It is aging in the way that a Zygon would not. And so it is effectively subject to the human aging process. Exactly, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so that's aging why just, I was confused. Yeah, no, that's, that's super-duper fair. I myself run into a lot of confusion about this character towards the end, though, because I think possibly it's the other Zygon, the Zynog, in fact, posing as her. But Yes, yes, it is. Okay, cool. So that, I was going to ask you about that, actually, to clarify it. <laughs> 
Yeah, because you only listened to this one and a half times at work. At work, while I was working. <laughs> while I was corresponding with clients, <laughs> I had a Zynog talking into my ear. <laughs> and he's fairly hard to hear. You need yeah. to concentrate. <laughs> anyway, so it, now we've clarified... Now we've clarified who's a Zygon, who's a Zynog, who's not. Yeah, except there's tons more to talk about and we will get into it. Yeah. So that aside, where would you like to start this off? I'd like to say that this episode of Who Back When Mm -hmm. is brought to you by Lustau East India Solera Mm. Sherry. Oh. Sherry? Sherry? Sherry. (laughs) Because this episode is replete with Sherry. And so there was just no way we could not. (laughs) <laughs> excellent foley work there <laughs> get ready for this <laughs> and when i say this episode is brought to you by that sherry this sherry was brought to me by nick Ulele. oh hello nick Ulele. So thank you nick Ulele, for picking for me an aged dry oloroso and an aged sweet pedro jimenez carefully blended <laughs> very nice should we chin chin this old sponge oh let's do that so you take the fuller one. Oh, you're too kind chin 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 Ooh. Oh, that is good. Yes, complex. Refreshing. Mm. Ooh, Nick, you little blinder. <laughs> Very yummy. I see your sherry. Yeah. I raise you another With Nell and I reference in this episode. Oh, really? Before we watch the next New Who. The Snowman. The Snowman, Starring yeah. Richard E. Grant. With Nell himself, as in the man who starred opposite Bald McGann in With Nell and I. We must sit down and watch With Nell and I, and there you will recognise a particular line in this one, jumping way to the end of this episode, of this audiobook. Paul McGann refers to himself as possibly looking... Like some punts. You said it, pal. Oh, right. And there's a line in the, in the beginning of With Nell and I where he's... Someone calls him a ponce. I've been called a ponce. Anyway, spoilers for With Nell and I. Hmm. Hokey pokey. So... Never pick up a hitchhiker, eh? Apparently not. Mm. It seems like the most dangerous just hobby you could have. Do you like this cold open? I think it's way too long. Okay. I mean, I sort of think it's way too long. It, it The actor's a good actor. I'm playing Billy. Yeah. In fact, I'm just going to veer into his, uh, his filmography while we're talking about Billy slash David Schofield, who played the dart player in an American werewolf in London. Yes. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, nice. He was also in Gladiator as Senator Falco. Anyone? I saw that on IMDb. I have no idea who that is. So, yes. I, I mean, it's nice in that he gets to play a, a kindly, gentle soul who could not be more of a contrast with his later performance as Landak, the Zynog. <laughs> so, yeah, the guy's got range. But I did think, I thought it was a little weak. Okay. What did you think? I kind of liked it. I think... Possibly, I, I don't want to do the audio as a disservice, but I, I think possibly they are rated on a different scale than television Doctor Who. Okay, are um, you being patronizingly lenient here? Is this what's coming? A, a, a little bit, Pam. So I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean to be patronizing, but I think I'm extra lenient. This is, this is a trope. The, the hitchhiker you pick up who ends up being a psychopathic killer. If that had been used in, in a TV episode, 
we would have gone, this is a pastiche. And oh, yeah. I, I don't know if we can fully respect it. We would, we would not have respected it as a serious piece of fiction. We would have viewed that as a parody of, of a well-recognized trope. But here, it comes across as quite a serious thing to me. And it kind of comes out of left field, especially since this Tash, Natasha, keeps clarifying, no, my name is Natasha, and thus sort of solidifying, cementing her human identity. Mm-hmm before then turning into a Zygon. I, I kind of liked it. Yeah, I wonder if, because it sort of takes away the remove of the television screen, mm-hmm. it puts you right, you're almost in the back seat. Oh yeah, definitely. In the car with them, and it's happening all around you. By the way, I love the audio in this. Yeah, yeah. yeah I thought the audio production work is stellar. Yeah, you had the, uh, the gravel crunching on the beach. Yes, the beach, the hospital, the car as well, I think, in the beginning. Yeah. Maybe um, his singing could have... I could have done without a lot of the singing, but... <laughs> well, yes. I mean, the singing is there to make it Christmassy at all, apart from outright saying the date. Yeah, that's true. But I don't think the singing's done well. I suppose it's not so conventional in that he is singing something and he's singing a variant of it and he can't remember all the words. So maybe that, in a way, those are two slightly unusual tacks you might take to this otherwise entirely conventional trope but i wasn't satisfied by it. i don't i don't get why he would just be why would he just drop her off on the side of the road i didn't really understand that bit of it actually he's picked her up from the side of the motorway he's dropping her at the side of the motorway a bit further up near her destination that is one of the realities of hitchhiking isn't it if you're not yeah. going exactly where the driver's going you've got to get out and you're back at the side of the road so it makes sense to me Okay, no, that's fair. That's fair enough. Why he wouldn't take her to the service station and drop her off there, I don't. Is it just pure coincidence that it happens at the service station? Oh, so he does take her to the station. No, but, it, I mean, what are the odds that he's heading in the direction of this service station, right? Yes. yes. Or she is, rather. Auntie Pat just stops en route to Blackpool, just stops, oh, I'm going to see what this place is like, if it still looks the way I remember it looking the way that his human partner, Auntie Pat, may have told him about it at some point. Oh, so this service station hasn't appeared in the previous... This is from Gla- Horror of Glam Rock. Oh, so, so That's they this... have been there. Auntie Pat has Auntie... been there. Exactly, Auntie but Pat. Not Hogarth. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And the TARDIS lands there, even though they're on their way to Blackpool. My understanding is that this is not in Blackpool. This is en route to Blackpool. The TARDIS landing at the service station can be entirely explained by Auntie Pat's parabolic diverter. Oh, but of course. Yes. And she says, because the TARDIS was heading to Blackpool... Blackpool. Blackpool. (laughs) I'm just going to do this, I'm sorry. She was able to intercept it via this device and bring it to where she was. So anything that apparently not on the face of the Earth that was heading towards Blackpool gets picked up by this parabolic diverter, which can only be the TARDIS. So it's an incredibly useful and specific device. And the other Zygon slash the Zynog. That is a coincidence, though. Is it really, though? I think it is. So, wait, hang on. So let's clarify this for the listeners who may not be aware. We have Zygons. We've encountered them in Classic Who. We've encountered them in New Who. Zygons established alien. Now we're introduced to the Zynogs, who are Zygons whose ability to return to their original shape has been taken away from them as penalty for them having assumed other Zygons' shapes? Yes. Okay. And the foe in this one, effectively, the bad guy in this audiobook, is a Zynog who wants to ultimately 
assume Auntie Pat's or Hogarth's, Hogarth's, whatever, body. Yeah. In order to return to a Zygon form, but until then is just shifting from human form to human form. Yes. Is that right? That pretty much sums it up. So, in the beginning, this Zynog is Natasha, turns into Billy. Runs over Lucy. Runs over Lucy, takes over Lucy. Tries to take over Lucy. Oh, sorry, tries to take over Lucy. Is about to take over Lucy. Instead takes over... Hagarth, yeah. Uh, Hagarth, yes. And then dies. Yes. Would have would have gone from Auntie Pat Hagarth to Lucy if he had had the chance. Why? Because, Why take over Lucy? Because he says if he was Auntie Pat, he would still be stuck on Earth. But if he's Lucy Miller, he can oh, yes, be the right. Time Lord's companion and no, go no, no, around. No, no. I remember this. Yeah, you're right. Okay. I'll tell you what I didn't like about the cold open, which was... If it had been on telly, it would have been even more laughable. I don't okay. think we can be that lenient on this thing. What's that? The second Billy revealed he had a son. Oh, I was that's, like, oh, I know. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> he he's is so dead. <laughs> Daddy's coming home, little un. He's brought you a nice big car to play with. I've only got two miles left till retirement. <laughs> this is to make up for all the Christmases I missed out. Oh, yeah. son, I'm on my way, son. I'm coming, son. And if he doesn't like the yellow hot rod, there's a microwave oven in the boot that'll do the trick. <laughs> Ridiculous. That, yeah, I know. That, that is definitely maybe going a little bit too far. <laughs> Should we take a meta step? What do you think of this whole audiobook? Like, high level. Do you like it? Do you not like it? I like it. Okay. I mean, there was a little pause there that may have been cut out. <laughs> I dot dot like it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if I liked it less than this. Um, Ditto. I don't think it was inviolably perfect. <laughs> wow, this is good, Sherry. <laughs> I mean, it's not a classic by any stretch, but I like lots of it. Okay. What about you? Yeah, I like it. I recall probably mentioned this in the last episode that we did the last audio re- review that we did but i recall jd saying that he wanted to give all of season four 5.0 yes that was rattling around my brain as well now before we press record i did ping jd on twitter asking him to very very quickly please give us his rating we'll see maybe we'll have received it by the time we get to the to the end part of this review but i mean i don't know if i'd go as quite as high as 5.0 definitely not. yeah but it's very good I, we are great reviewers. I, I like it. You say it's very good. I, I mean, wonder... Yeah. Well, I'm thinking... So in the last one... Was it in the last one? It Didn't Lucy Miller basically die and go to the afterlife in the last one as well? Yes, she did. She was fighting for control of her brain inside her mental space. Yeah, and I... Exactly. And for that reason, it feels like this one isn't really breaking new ground. And if we're going to go to 5.0 territory, then I want new ground to be broken. Is the Zynog thing a new ground? Yes, I think so. Okay. And I do... And I think it's a definitely a massive... Like a major plus point that they are revisiting old episodes and... I guess, adding a little bit of meaning to them. All of a sudden, those two episodes are slightly more important now Hmm. to the canon than they were before. I don't remember much about them at all, but I remember giving at least Zion Who Fell to Earth a very low score. (laughs) (laughs) But thanks to this episode, it it has been elevated. And and that, I think, I I can appreciate that. Like we elevated Victory of the Daleks. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I plugged that to my boss at work today. Oh, let's see how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> Even my sister won't listen to it. Oh, Christ. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. 
Got another question for you. Shoot. Maybe you can clarify this for me. Why is Paolo Panini low on energy? Because he's not appearing and doing Lucy's bidding. I mean, he's not there at all. The, the stand is unmanned, as far as I can tell. Wait, who's Paolo Panini then? Paolo Panini is the name above this Panini vendor outlet in the service station, I believe. But Paolo he, Panini is, is, does not have any lines. He does not appear. Someone does appear. Someone shows up and says, uh, makes himself a cup of tea. That's Billy. Oh, is that Billy? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. So Billy's the one who's low on energy, has lots of sugar, yada, yada, yada. Oh, I see. Because mm. I thought this was the... I thought that Billy had already transferred his Zygon or Zynog self into the proprietor of this sandwich stand, basically. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought there was another step in between. <laughs> I was doing fucking emails at the time. I was working. Emails, podcast. I have emails. <laughs> okay, thank you for clarifying that. Also, can we please, for the love of all that is pure in the universe, finally clarify that panini is the plural form? Oh, it's of? Panino! Panino. Now, th- this is the beginning of the resistance. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, Auntie Pat. Mm-hmm. Not played by the same person who played Auntie Pat's in the previous episodes. Oh, no? No. I didn't realise. Okay. This time, it was Helen Lederer. Who? Helen Lederer, I said. (laughs) Who has? She has been in The Young Ones. She was in Bottom as Lady Natasha Letitia Sarah Jane Wellesley Obstromsky Ponsonsky Smythe 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 Oblomov Boblomov Dob Third Vicomptress of Moldavia. (laughs) Richie's video date. Oh. Yes. I'm not sure I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) Who was she in The Young Ones? I forget, to be honest. (laughs) Probably also some Ponzi student. Yeah, probably. (laughs) She was also in Old Jack's Boat with Old Jack. Old Jack's Boat? Bernard Cribbins. Oh, no way! The very man! Bernard Cribbins, who was in Horror of Glamrock. Oh, wow! (laughs) This is circular. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There are five English anchors. (laughs) Yes. Um, she was good. She was great. Was she? Was she not? Her accent was all over the place. See, I don't know English accents. I'm, I'm terrible at them. But also, she's not meant to be from Blackpool. She's a Zygon. Oh, do you th- so do you think it's their ter- the Zygon's terrible approximation of a Blackpool accent? No, but I think that's a worthy excuse. <laughs> Well, another worthy excuse might be that she's from Carmarthen in South Wales. She was raised in South East London, ah. born to an English mother and a Czech Jewish father. Okay. So her accent could be from all over the place. I don't know if it's the best Blackpool accent in the world or not. I'm actually only going on Sheridan Smith, and she's from Lincolnshire, so oh, who right. knows? JD, you know. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> I can only hear JD going, Blackpool. That's exactly what he sounded like when he did that. Exa- I, I thought it was him. I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, she even said frappy lattes and twisted paninis. It was, it was very tortured, some of that. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't notice it at all. But McGann loved her, if you listen to the extra schlock. Yes. Yes, he did. He did not stop going on about her. He couldn't believe why she wasn't a superstar. Well, she clearly has some, you know, charisma. Definitely. I mean, to be fair, she is a female comedian who's had a near 40-year career at this point. That's an achievement. That That is superstardom of a sort. She also has a BBC podcast, so... Oh, really? If you're listening. Oh. <laughs> knock, knock. <laughs> she talks to comedians Sure, maybe we can do jokes. some sort of crossover episode. Yeah. Or episodes. 
Marvellous. Yes, let's definitely do that. Right, well, I'm, I'm penciling it in. Okay. Helen? Email us at whobackwhen at gmail.com, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks in advance. How do you feel about there being Zygons and Zynogs? <laughs> is it a little cringeworthy? I mean, that, that hits the nail on the head very squarely. <laughs> <laughs> Bearing in mind that we recently learned that, uh, on Classic Who, we learned that Daleks are actually just the continuation of Carleds. Mm. Mm. Still, Icon and Zynog. I don't know where your face is going with this. Well, I mean, oh, we don't call our criminals Hunams. Yeah, you know, true. It, it it seems an odd tradition to do that. I mean, it seemed incredibly odd for the Carleds to call the next stage in evolution Daleks. Because they turned everything that came before on its head. It's not just, it's not even turning it on the head. It's just Scrabble pieces. Oh, actually, yeah. It's yeah. not It's not reverse, is it? It's, no. The vowels it, are in the same place. Could just give it a different name. Or, I mean, they don't cease to be a Zygon. Yeah. It also speaks to this being a sort of really widespread crime like this is a whole stratum of society we need yeah. to give a name to yeah. like like felons is that what criminals i mean that's not enough i mean th- this is murderer this is like yeah this this would be their equivalent of a on the same level as a murderer i suppose hang on wait i i've got more questions actually about this so we have auntie pat uh, haygarth whatever who is aging for lack of access to scarrison milk. Yes. Then we have the Zynog, who has no access to a scarrison, is stuck in other shapes. How can the Zynog survive, but Antipaths develop, what was it, photomelanoma? I suppose because that is a condition that affects Zygons. If you take zygon corporeality out of the equation then it's not going to suffer but auntie pat has not looked like a zygon for years and years and years auntie pat is living like or haygarth is living as auntie pat okay this is something i perhaps didn't understand could haygarth you mean like does haygarth switch back into haygarth form at night is that what you mean yeah or could he yeah, I think so. I think somewhere in like in the basement is a Zygon pod with Auntie, real Auntie Pat in it. Okay, so... In a coma or something. So at night, they are both looking like Zygons because Natasha does turn back into a Zygon and say, oh, this yeah, is wait, my form. Wait, how is that even possible? You're right. How is that even possible? And what's the problem then? Why can't, why can't Natasha just turn into... What's the other one called? Because Zygons are all individuals, man. While they may look the same to your racist eyes... No, but... No, but it, excuse me. Does does Natasha not turn into... What Does the Zynog t- not turn into its own individual Zygon appearance? No, it can't. It turns into literally any other Zygon is where my logic is leading me. So I'm sticking with it. So why does Natasha need Hagarth? This is so bloody confusing. <laughs> Why does the Zynog need Hagarth if the Zynog can just turn into any Zygon while in yeah. Billy's car? Yeah, why would it pick a basically cancer-ridden Zygon with stage four? Which it may not that it may not know that at this point. No, possibly. It just knows yeah. there's another there's a fellow Zygon somewhere. But for some reason, that is a better deal than... Yeah, that is... Hmm. I feel like this is falling apart a little bit. Maybe. I feel like maybe it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. I mean, you can understand him taking on a Zygon form in Lucy's mind. Yes. 
That, but that, that because that's physical. All, exactly. Yeah. That's that's not concrete. But once again, we have a cold open ruining it for the rest of an episode. Oh damn it! Okay. So in answer to your question of half an hour ago, I'm not too keen on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Fast forward to they are. He's now run over Lucy. He's now manipulating Lucy, trying to convince Lucy to take a backseat. Yeah, to voluntarily exit her body. Or, or not even her body, but the whole hospital, it seems to be. He wants her body. Yes. And he needs her to volunteer it to him. Yes. He can't just take it. He can't kill her and take the body. Yes. Why that is, I think that's sort of writing force majeure, because it would be way too easy. There just needs to be an impediment. He needs to inveigle his way in, rather than... See, it seems to me like she's not going to die. She's gonna. She's just gonna take a back seat. Oh, there are so many cultural references that I want to make uh, for you here, but uh, I know for a fact that you've not seen the film that I'm thinking of. Okay. Uh, One thing that really does bother me about that back seat taking or dying is that she has to volunteer it, and she says, "Make it stop." And he goes, "Ah, that's the words I needed to hear." And she's like, "What? Yeah, that wasn't what I was asking for." So how can that be taken as my promissory note? Or whatever. So it's not even, it's not intent, it's just tricking her into putting her John Hancock on something. Yeah, I, I expected him to completely deconstruct her, and for her to say, okay, I would rather die. Which yeah. is not the same as make it stop. She is saying to him, stop being a bellend, yeah, exactly. rather than, I'm fed up with life, I want the whole shebang to stop. Yeah. He is mid-gloat, and Auntie Pat rocks up. And, mm, hang on, let me check my notes, because this doesn't follow particularly logically. Okay. Right, okay, my note is, Lucy ends up going back. How? She says, pain is what makes us feel alive. And at that point, Billy the Porter says, No! As if that was somehow her way back in. As in... She wants to feel the pain. I suppose when she said make it stop, perhaps she was saying the pain is too much and I want to relinquish it. And now she is once again saying it's worth it in order to carry on living. And and that is... But that's not... And when she's pleading with him, no, no, stop it. I, I want it all back. She's essentially saying the same thing there. So it all... Oh, implicit. Is there an element of love saves the day in this audiobook well there's definitely a heroic sacrifice or two there certainly is plug 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 (laughs) oh i love what you did just there yeah add this one to the list taking a tiny sidestep from this audiobook review if you're unfamiliar with the brand new but depending on when you're listening to this uh, this podcast episode fully established (laughs) blog column Head over to whobackone.com and read Drew Back When's very own article series, Pew Pew Pew, part two of which... Concerning very naughty boys. Coming very soon. Yeah. Mm. Back to the audiobook. Right, so, but is there not also an element of Love Saves the Day, the mere fact that Auntie Pat is there and basically goes, I've really missed you, Lucy? Well, the thing is, is that Lucy is really annoyed with Auntie Pat because... She now knows that Auntie Pat is not the Auntie Pat she thought she was. Yeah, she knows that this relationship has been based on a secret. Yeah. And so it's not love acting through Lucy that brings her back to life. It has to be Lucy finding out for herself this pain thing. She she actually is arguing with Auntie Pat. 
and comes right. to that realization. So it's not as simple as that. Okay. But Auntie Pat it's is a variation of it, though, isn't it? Well, yeah, Auntie Pat is definitely taking Lucy's place on the block. Okay. The block here being some sort of telepathic field, right? I mean, Lucy is in a coma. There's some sort of ethereal manipulation going on here. Yeah. What's his face? Landak is in an adjacent room or somewhere well, somewhere nearby. How does Auntie Pat gain access to this telepathic realm, whatever it is? She is dying. Oh, so it's because she is near death that she... Oh, I thought that was all BS on his part, on Landak's part. Uh, so only no, because yeah. she's dying. That's why she... Oh, okay. Yeah. They're in a hospital, though. A lot of people must be near death. Well, I mean, statistically speaking, more so than when he's in Billy's car. Yeah, they, they meet Phil, don't they? Well, they look at Phil, who has cirrhosis, and his kids are going to be put into care because his wife is up on a charge. Oh, yeah. And I like that sort of manipulation part of the episode. I thought that the Battle of Wits was quite good and that it could have been longer, but it was curtailed by Billy brandishing his Zygon Trump card. Zynog Trump card, sorry. Mm. Going like, look at how I really am. Oh. Yeah, that was a shame. Yeah, I thought that was that reveal came way too soon as well. She was falling for it, for, for goodness sake. Mm, yeah. His plan was working. He shot himself in his Zynog foot by <laughs> pulling off his Scooby-Doo mask. His metaphysical Zynog mind foot. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I, th- I think actually the ending of this episode is sudden, or this audiobook has suddenly become much clearer to me. Well, possibly, but they are looking at Phil, who is... Maybe not in a coma in the same way, but he is on his way out. So Yeah, Landak does say something like, oh, you can hear them better. There's an awareness between the worlds when they are close to death. Yeah. So I, I suppose perhaps the difference is that if Phil were dying, he would pop up. I suppose Lucy Miller, while being in a coma, is actually slowly dying. And Phil is just on it. So give it a day or two and he'll appear. At the moment, if he were to wake up and start talking, then they would be able to hear him. Okay. And that's where he is on the death slide. So, okay, maybe maybe the place, the realm doesn't need to be full of people. But you'd think that people would pop in and out, actually. It is a hospital. It is full of people dying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it should be a little more complicated. I get that it has to be neat and small and the castle has to be very short, but no, that... that, that, that also, is- if there were too many people, it would become far too similar to the afterlife scene that we had in the last audiobook. Yes, indeed. Oh, it's, I still feel like it's way too similar. It wait, is. Wait, they, you're racking your brain about something. Just spiders. Uh, uh, World Wide Web. Yeah, it was a double it. feature, something, that something, and World Wide Web. Yeah. yeah. So, yes. Check it, out that review. That's a good review. They really did need to be spaced more. I agree. The guy who wrote this audiobook... Alan Barnes. Did not write the first two, right? Yes, that's right. It was someone else. Yeah, so he has taken established characters, including a companion, and gone, I'm going to end this. And presumably Big Finish will have agreed to it, right? But yeah, but it's a big step to take... Well, this is a Christmas special. I mean, you've got to make a big gesture. Oh, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know. It seems... What, a little too, little too edgy, a little too dangerous? <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so the thing is, we know that Lucy Miller will return. Yes. Isn't the penultimate or possibly even the ultimate episode of the um, Eighth Doctor Adventures called Lucy Miller? Yes, and yeah. the ultimate one is called To the Death. To the Death, right. <laughs> And the further adventures of Lucy Miller, which will be released in July, 
are set between series one and two. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. I'm happy about that. So, should we talk about the farewell scene? Let's do that. Um, I thought the carols in the background were very nice. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked the doc saying he wasn't an infallible superhero. Yes. Yes. I, I wrote down exactly that. In- yeah, which is also coming back. Pew, pew, pew. Oh, really? Yes. I'm going to add this in. Oh, marvellous. This is very opportune. Oh, look what the audiobook series is doing to you. <laughs> Thanks, oh, JD. Marvellous stuff. That, that concluding scene, that, that scene between um, Lucy and Doc, it's powerful stuff. Yeah. It really is quite moving. And it's, it's very realistic in a way. I mean, it's not just I'm leaving because of some cartoonish or for some cartoonish reason or because of some overly dramatic reason, something incredibly traumatic, like, oh, my partner got shot by a Dalek or whatever. Yeah, or, or something, as we just had with Amy and Rory, something really amateurishly manufactured. Sure. Instead, it's something fairly realistic. I can't. I don't trust you anymore, or somehow you've tainted this idealized vision of you that that you'd allowed me over the course of three seasons to to establish. Yeah, something fundamental will have to be reworked for Lucy and the Doctor to continue going on adventures. Like, there is now a void of trust at the very centre of their relationship, which needs to be refilled somehow. So I hope they do something clever with that next time. I hope it's not just Lucy's suspicious, and then the Doctor reminds her of what a great guy he is, and she's like, oh yeah, I was wrong. I don't think it's going to be anything like that. I hope not. I hope it's 5.0 worthy, is what I hope. I reckon it probably will be. We're certainly close to it. But we're going to have a few episodes without Lucy Miller first. Oh, are we? Well, I, I assume so. I'm assuming she's not coming back in the next one, surely. Oh, oh I didn't even... Re- of course not, because the Eighth Doctor can just bugger off and do his thing. Well, oh, I didn't even consider I, that. Okay, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but my assumption was that the episode that is called Lucy Miller is the return of Lucy Miller. But oh, until so, then, we have no Lucy Miller. That's so just me guessing This series it. could just be uh, anything, any number of companions or no companions at all. It could be a solo shot. It could be... Oh, wow. I, d- dude, I don't know. If this is the Christmas special, normally we have the... I mean, on TV, we have the Christmas special be the one without the regular companion. This is a reversal of that. We have this, the Christmas special as an, an opportunity to get rid of a companion, and then that is followed by the equivalent of Tenant Swan Song. Oh, yeah, <laughs> The companion-less episodes. That's cool. Do you know what? It's a bit of a shame, actually. How so? Because I was going to say that in this episode i finally got to know a bit about lucy miller oh do you like her now i i did like her yeah yeah uh, her interactions with billy and father christmas were friendly and she was a bit snappy with the doctor she was snappy with the doctor and a- with paolo panini who never showed up yeah <laughs> but in a fun way though yes it's fun what were the exact adjectives uh, i said her determination to get some chips is very relatable Oh, she's winning, honest, open, and sincere, is what I came out with. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, Lucy Miller, excellent companion. Yeah, and she will apparently give her parents' address to just any old hobo who (laughs) wanders in. Uh, 46 Cheney Road. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Go ruin their Christmas. (laughs) Hobo I just met. Yeah. We haven't talked about Father Christmas at all. Oh, yes, Father Christmas. Played by John Glover. Yes, John Glover. Wait, hang on. So the name rings a massive, gigantic bell. You've already looked him up, haven't you? He played the management consultant in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh. Wait, hang on. You might be thinking of another Glover. John Glover. 
We shook each other's glovers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was not the John Glover I thought it was. These aren't the John Glovers you're looking for. <laughs> oh, there's only one picture of him on IMDb. Oh, really? What do you mean, really? Is, does he not look like he thought you would? Not at all. No, hang on. Does he not like... Oh, fuck the sherry. <laughs> does he not look like you thought he would? The name rings a bell because of Superman's dad, I think. Okay. But as oh, yes. Santa Claus... Yeah, right from his first... Ho, ho, ho! Yeah. I was on board. Yeah, me too. Possibly the best ancillary character we ever had in a long time. Yeah? I mean, television included. Well, I think he, he was, but he also had more potential. Yeah, he's not he's underused, but I feel like... I mean, this is the Doc and Lucy show with occasional guest appearances by Auntie Pat. Yeah. In terms of plot and dialogue, this is a pretty slimline story. I don't know. Billy gets some good talking. Yeah, okay, he sorry. was just getting into gear. Oh, also, his, also his scene, we even said he was underused before. Yeah, but his scene where he kills Auntie Pat is disturbing AF. <laughs> is it not? That's happening between your ears. He is metaphysically crushing, strangling, destroying this person who is crying out death gasps. For some reason, they even put the sound of bones cracking in, even though this is entirely mental or whatever. Oh, God, this is, this is the last time I'm listening to one of these while I'm at work. <laughs> <laughs> also, another thing like that is when Lucy is in the coma on the bed yeah. and she tries to move and something rustles. And yes. And it's like, she shouldn't be making any noise at this point. She should be completely still. Or someone is going to be like, oh, I guess she's going to wake up. She can't be a four on the Glasgow coma scale at all. She yeah. should try to move and absolute silence reign. So, guys, your sound effects people. You don't need to... You're trying to justify yourselves, no, but I you're thought, overdoing it. I thought all of that was done really well. I mean, th there's the moment where he is explaining to her, no, this is all just happening in your mind. Like, this is basically the Matrix. You are self identifying as a an individual with stuff shoved into your arm and you're in this bed and you think that your body has weight but in actual fact you don't oh, let me help you everything about that scene was super creepy yes and i thought the sound really just helped because it was all in her mind as in i heard those sounds in her imagination oh so when she goes to move she imagines the sound that she would make were she able to move i think so yeah just ah. like she imagines that she has not wires but like tubes stuck in her arm right and she goes oh god take it out it's gross oh this is terrible i, I feel so bad i said like, don't worry about it it's not there so she must be imagining herself moving because if she were completely static she would be able to i mean I mean, she's it, not floating through the bed and everything. She's not, you know, there's no uh, ectoplasm anywhere. But e equally, she must be imagining herself, like, turning her head to the people in the room. Yeah. Because, because in their eyes, she thinks she appears normal. So this is also something that I wrote down. Is he, wherever in my notes it is, is he projecting the room into her, into this telepathic sphere? Because she can see, and in a very muffled way, she can hear the people in the room. Oh, no, So she I... can basically see herself from above. It's like an out-of-body experience to her. She even says, oh, God, look at the state of my eyebrows. She can see herself. So how does that work? There's not a camera. There's not a gadget with a camera in the ceiling that is projecting an image into her mind. 
So somewhere in this telepathic field, he's constructing a landscape for her, and that landscape needs to be based on something. And if she sees herself in a bed, it must also be based on that bed. That That is true if you cannot accept at face value his statement that the dead can see. If he is if he's being truthful there, then then they are just spirits walking around the hospital in some way. But it's but if not, then he must be constructing it. But she's not free to walk around. She can't walk after Doc and Pat. Like she can't follow them out of the room and try to listen in. She can only see and hear what's going on in that room. I suppose. Well, they go and see Phil, the cirrhosis guy. So I oh, suppose yeah, because he's a porter and he's a Zynog and he has somehow experience in this telepathic realm by the way have the zygons ever sort of gone in for this telepathy stuff before not that i recall okay so this body squatting is sort of if you remove the body i suppose that then you have to take it to the level of mind squatting i suppose that's logical yeah, we've ne- have day. we ever had a we've had tons of zygons take over human bodies we very recently had the first zygon appearance in classic who yeah but i don't recall any episode like in the Capaldi run, do you remember the the silent or the slow invasion or whatever it's called? Yeah. The, it, do you the Zygon re- invasion, the Zygon inversion. There you go. Do you remember there being any illusion to, as to where, were, where was I while I was stuck in that pod? What did I experience while I was stuck in there? Because we do get a few protagonists who get Zygon. Mm. Oh, crumbs. I don't remember either. Oh. But what I was going to say was Lucy is new to this. This Zynog has somehow gained experience of how to traverse this realm and how to bring other people around with him. Mm-hmm. So I can get that as she is also weakened and it's her first 10 minutes as a free roaming spirit, she is going to need the help from this porter. And so it could be real and it's not necessarily him constructing this prison that she is held in. Hmm. We were talking about Father Christmas a minute ago. We were, yeah, let's get back to Father Christmas. I, I loved how drunk he was. Yeah, me too. He does a really good <laughs> drunkard. I, yeah, when when Lucy is going to talk him down, and he, and he calls back from ahead of her, stick it! It's just, I love how bitter he was. I think my favourite scene with him is after Lucy has been uh, hit by the car, Yeah, and Doc has decided, okay, I'm not going to leave her side. There's something afoot, I'm, I'm going to stick around, and he confers with father christmas and it just goes like hey if anyone asks about whatever if anyone tries to gain ingress you know what to do and and this drunk santa just goes ask them if they've been a good boy is that what you mean dog's like yeah that's right that's exactly right (laughs) there's a moment of self-realization the guy knows that he is an obnoxious drunk santa yeah a, a moment of terrible clarity exactly did you also get the dad's army reference no what was uh, that? That was an exact quote. Really? Which was when he was going to like, Your name is also going on the list. What is it? Don't tell him, Doctor. <laughs> I remember the scene. I don't remember this from Dad's Army. The episode of Dad's Army, a German U-boat crew is captured and Private Pike is singing how Hitler is a twerp and the German U-boat captain says, Your name is also going on the list. What is it? And Captain Mannering says, Don't tell him, Pike. So oh, I do remember this. That explains... <laughs> mm, that and Faulty Towers was the 70s of British comedy, really. Yeah. That Benny Hill, I being served. Yeah, some others do have them. Okay, okay, there's lots. Whatever. Sure. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> 
terrible. My memory's too good. Um, oh, I did think, though, that the quip about the elves organizing their labor and fair trade schemes was a bit elementary. Oh, yeah? It was a bit sort of writing class 101, make a joke about some elves. Seemed pretty obvious. There's also that you can teach a gnome to build a wooden toy about a games console. Yeah, that too. Yeah, there was some low-hanging fruit plucked for this script. Teach a gnome to build a wooden toy, that's just a joke that he's telling in the role of Santa, but the... your line, I can't remember what it was now, that seems to be rather a reference to when he lost his actual job. Like, the... elves guild or whatever it was oh oh as the actual father christmas yeah as in as the mall santa or whatever like he he actually lost his job oh i see yes yes now he is destitute and just about ready to take his own life because he has no alternative so the quip that you're like i mean the quote that you're referring to that may very well be an actual admission of tragedy disguised (laughs) in christmas tinsel Oh, dear. Right? The cruelest tinsel of all. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. This sherry is amazing. It's, I feel like it's stunted my intellect. <laughs> well, yeah, mine too, obviously. Oh, oh did, you, did you hear Gilf appear in this episode? No. When does Gilf appear? You remember Gilf? Oh, come on! <laughs> when they go to buy, when they go to I buy booze, I remember Gilf very well. Thank you. They go to buy booze, and she's like, "Are you open?" And he's like, "Sorry, my license. I can't open up." Tease up! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I totally missed Gilf. Yeah, it was very, very brief. <laughs> it was just, it was just before the Tory Santa stuff. Put a sock in it, Tory Santa. <laughs> Did you enjoy Marika? Marika also played Tash. Yeah, I can believe that. Same actress. Simples. Anyway, I liked Marika. She was fine. As in good accent work, you know? Yes, that's true. Yes, it certainly is different from Natasha. And it was consistent as well, in a way that Auntie Pat's was not. Yeah, it's also nice to not, even though the role of Marika was played by super duper English actress, name insert here, I can't remember her name now, but it's nice to have a character who isn't just another English character. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And the mm. NHS is made up of all the nations of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. Positive spin. Yeah. I've got a question for you. Yeah. Another, confirm this for me, please, question. So they arrive a year early. Yes, they do. Any particular reason? So that they can't go in and see the family and thereby require more cast members and more extraneous dialogue. Is she in the house? Yes. Yes, so she Lucy is. Lucy Miller is in the house. At one point inside the house, Lucy Miller talks because she says, uh-huh, there's no yes. one at the door. Well, Merry Christmas to you, you fuckers. Right. Okay. So, yeah, fine. This does explain it then. My question is related to that. Uh-huh. Let's hear it. If Haygorth slash Auntie Pat wants to see Lucy for the last time, why doesn't she just rock up at 46 Cheney Road for 2009 Christmas and hang out with her then before she meets the doctor? Why does... She needs to grab Lucy and the Doctor out of time, duplicate Lucy, almost have a universe-ending paradox with Lucy if she doesn't run away from the door. Why go to all that trouble instead of just going and having Christmas dinner? Wait, 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 wait. Rewind there. Uh-huh. Holy shit. How much have I missed? <laughs> Seriously. Wait, so when does she duplicate Lucy? Because she pulls Lucy back a year early. That is yeah. what her 
parabolic oh, diverter. Oh, I see. Sorry, duplicate as in there are oh, there are two of her in the same... Okay, yeah, gotcha. I, sorry, I, I got... thought you meant she's Zygon to Lucy, yeah. and I completely missed that. I, I must use that word more carefully in an episode full of shapeshifters. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she temporarily duplicates her. Yes, yes. No idea. I think this now goes into the... Uh, the I think we file this in the unnecessary coincidence column uh-huh. of this episode just like we have the petrol station and we have the zygon appearing on the same road at the same time yeah but we could say that there is a tracker element there and perhaps there is and we just missed it in the flood of words but this i feel like unless there is some sort of fixed point boilerplate applied to this would somehow ruin the previous two episodes, but they seem like Wait, they happened in the past. Possible reason. She's dying. Maybe she thinks she won't make it a whole year. She doesn't have to make it a whole year. She has to make it inside. She has to make it a day. Have one last Christmas. But then she has one last Christmas with... I mean, she she wants Christmas with future Lucy, right? Oh, no. so it has to be Lucy who has been around with the doctor because that is only upping the risks in terms of secrets that is true i don't think she really minds does it matter maybe it doesn't matter so well what i'm thinking is does she want to spend christmas with a lucy whom she has already met and shared the b&b memory with i see because if she just goes into the house then that lucy will be completely oblivious to everything because she isn't old enough yet to have traveled back in time and gone to this b&b and yeah and she's going to be dropping all sorts of clever references and double entendres and this ingenue lucy will have no idea what's going on it's going to be a wretched well the fact that she has already met her future niece sorry the future version of her niece only means that she, she being Auntie Pass in this case, is thoroughly displaced in her own timeline. She can never feel fully at home with her family. It's terribly sad. Well, I mean... So that's why she always has she's to... She's a Zygon to begin with, so... Sure, Hagarth, yeah. whatever. The, the, the person currently identifying as Auntie Pass... Yeah, it's hard enough to fit in for this poor Zygon. <laughs> the, Hagarth... Ugh. Is what I'm saying making any sense? I, yeah. I feel like yeah. she, she wants to be able to just reminisce and go, yeah, you and I have shared things. But if she now goes in into that house, she will have shared a little less with the Lucy Miller who's there. Yeah. And that's just not enough. Yeah, she wants her life to culminate with the latest possible version of Lucy she can access. I get yeah. that. The one with which her relationship is most developed. So this story does stand to exist excellent it shall not be stricken from the record there's a moment towards the end sorry jumping a little bit there's a we should get to the end yeah there's a there's a moment towards the end where the eighth doctor is threatened are you thinking of the scene where the doctor's ready to be brave and be like i can go into the telepathic realm and chase them but hagarth Auntie Pat Auntie pulls Pat's, a number on it. Exactly. Auntie Pat is, is meant to assist in his suicide so that he can go into this realm, but instead she just gives him a sedative. Yes. Yeah. And the, the note that I've made here is, do we ever feel that the Eighth Doctor's life is in peril? No. Seeing as how we, we are currently experiencing the Thirteenth Doctor, we know when the Eighth Doctor turns into the Ninth Doctor, or rather into the War Doctor, we know that there is a continuation here. Will the Eighth Doctor ever feel like he is in peril to us? Well, 
it's not going to be therefore a question it's going to be an obfuscation the cleverness of the puzzle is going to be what we enjoy in that situation rather than feeling there is a direct and threat to his life yeah yeah sure I feel like that's why we're watching the show anyway. I mean, the doctor's cleverness Slash or listening. is or listening. Yeah, I mean, the the doctor's cleverness is largely what draws us to the character. Yeah, I I did register some dissatisfaction at this point where I thought, ah, we are going to get the doctor. We're going to get McGann McGanning his way through the telepathic realm. <laughs> yeah, and this Billy is going to find himself completely overmatched by the doctor's superior intelligence. But that's not what we get. We get a sacrifice in body and then in mind from an ancillary character. Yeah. And so it's not quite what I had hoped for. Because as much as I warmed to Lucy in this episode, I also thought I learned a bit more about McGann. I, not that there was downtime in the episode at all. I thought that the interactions were just richer, I suppose. And I actually perceived something of his character. Like some easygoing moments, some moments of humour. Just a bit more variation, I suppose. I, yeah, I, I was a bit on, more on board with McGann this time. Interesting. And perhaps perhaps it's because this was a less breakneck experience than the last, you know, double parter. Which was all plot and all McGann zipping from A to B to C to D to E to F to G. Yeah, it was, it was nice to just sit with him and be McGann in comfort. I would disagree. Go on, then. I thought McGann was brilliant in this. I think McGann is certainly one of my favourite doctors. I I would so incredibly just like to see more McGann on TV. Uh, And by the way, rumour has it that there will be a spin-off Eighth Doctor TV series. What? Yes, which would be quite amazing. Uh, Rumour has it. I don't know if it's actually true. But uh, anyway, anyway. McGann is fantastic, but I think something that I was missing here just for the full McGann experience was a mastermind foe. I think McGann is is brilliant when he has to solve puzzle after puzzle and when he has to be clever and witty and kind of sardonic. And he he wasn't given many opportunities to do any of those things. Well, this is coming back to that lost scene that I just lamented, isn't it? Wait, how? How do you mean? Because he was denied the chance to have exactly that scene yes, by exactly. Pat. So, yes, exactly. So if that scene had been there, then we'd have had the best of both. That's true, but even... You're right. I agree with that. But I think the road leading up until that, that's the very end of the audiobook. Yeah. But up until that point, we've also not had much of that. Actually, you know what? There is a moment where when? Father Christmas is saying, you know, they've got CCTV. And McGann goes... Brilliant, and it's not. That's not brilliant. That is the Eighth Doctor slumming it, yeah, in the intelligent state. And also, yeah. how how in any way is it brilliant? It's not a brilliant observation. It's not a brilliant device. They don't find. I mean, maybe they track Landak to the cupboard, but I think they do that actually via the diverter signal at one. Yeah, exactly. One he like so, uh, not reverse engineers. He he tracks the tracker signal. Yeah. So the CCTV is entirely redundant. So. Yeah, no, that's a, a drag. The comparison being in, oh, let's see, which one, which one to compare with? In uh, in the Spider episodes or Spider audiobooks, yes. there were constantly other very clever, verbose characters to parry with Paul McGann. Mm. For example, the other Doctor or scientist of some sort, can't remember his name, astrophysicist, can't remember his name now. Played by Sanjeev Bhaskar. Yes, exactly. Yeah who had multiple dialogues with McGann, 
And they were all opportunities for McGann to just doctor it up to the hilt. Ah. And I was missing that in this episode. Because McGann is, is stuck with Auntie Pat's. And their rapport never changes. There's never, I mean, there's not much dynamism there because we're just treated to a little bit of exposition. In case you've not listened to the first two audiobooks, here's what's happened. And then that's it. Stand still. It's just, it plateaus at that point. He's not going to have much of a witty banter with Father Christmas. And then beyond that, there are literally no characters. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yes. Whereas if there had been a really clever sidekick or clever, you know, companion of the week, or if there had been a mastermind foe with whom he can play verbal slash intellectual chess, that would have given us peak McGann. And we didn't get that. Ipso facto, I was a little bit disappointed. Once again, a heroic sacrifice has shortcut our episode <laughs> off at the knees. <laughs> I think I think we I think we uh, I think we're saying much the same thing, except we're coming at it from two different perspectives of our experience with McGann. You have already warmed to McGann over the last twenty years or more, and <laughs> I have not. And I've heard many fewer audiobooks than you as well. So I was craving some downtime, McGann, mm. a, a human. Well, that you entree, got this one, yeah, to his character. And so now I feel like I've experienced a more rounded version of him. You already have the rounded version. You want him to aspire to excellence from this point as much as possible because you already have that basis of familiarity. So I get that. It was just a little bit too low-key McGann. Yeah. Hmm. Also, you mentioned the exposition. Yeah. I was actually quite grateful for the info dumps in this episode. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I bet you were. Yeah, because in the last review, there was the Planet of the Spiders, and I was frequently left clueless about what sounds were and who was doing what and what things meant. But in this episode, I had a complete backstory, not just for Zygons, Zynogs, but Auntie Pat and her relationship with Hagorth or whatever frick that bloody name was. (laughs) Everything apart from the pronunciation of that name was established with perfect clarity. Agreed, yeah. So, yeah. No points to subtract there. (laughs) Shall we rate this? Let's see how many points you subtract in general. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Shazamatron. Okay, so I don't want to rate this first. (laughs) I don't want to rate this first. Well, what option does that leave us? Hey, JD. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so JD did reply on Twitter. JD has given this a rating of. What do you think? I think... Oh, I'm just going to say what my rating is. (laughs) I mean, JD usually rates a bit lower than me because he has this encyclopedic knowledge, a holistic Who universe. But you know that uh, my recollection was five out of five for JD. He definitely said that. I think he's going to separate this out as a Christmas special from the rest of the series. It did come out many months earlier. So I think he's going to go with a 2.4. Okay, um, so that is exactly half of what he's given this. He has given this 4.8. Is it your birth? <laughs> JD <laughs> has given this 4.8 out of 5, and he adds... Oh, good, because addition is required. Only because Lucy Miller slash To The Death, which I take it now is a double feature, yeah. exists and blow it out of the water, in my humble opinion. He also adds which in my opinion is one of the top five audiobooks, not just McGann, all of them. Cool. But you cannot have an episode rated 4.8 that is blown out of the water by another episode. Which is probably going to be a 5.0 in his mind. 
Well, I mean, that does sound great. And I hope, <laughs> I hope we get... Or the- maybe that's going to be a 12.13. Uh, <laughs> An 11.1. Yeah, 12.13. You know what I mean, not 12.13. Okay. <laughs> uh, regardless, okay, so JD... Thank you very much. 4.8 out of 5. By the way, please follow JD on Twitter. He is at Marius Kane. That is Kane with a what? K! That's right. Let's us follow that in some way. Yeah. You, me. Me. You. You. Me? You. Okay. (laughs) I'm not going to go quite as high as that. And I think maybe I've also dropped my rating a little bit over the course of this review. Full disclosure, I had not prepared anything. In terms of a rating, I will, however, pull up my notes just in case there are any, any things that I've, I've not considered. I think what elevates this audiobook is that it's very much the Lucy Miller show. Yep. And Lucy Miller, Sheridan Smith, does a spectacular job. She brings a lot of humor in the beginning, those bits that you, you called out as really a, appealing in, in terms of, you know, characterizing Lucy Miller. Great scenes. And they're typical Lucy Miller fare. And then there's some drama. She gets killed. There's some sadness. There's some anger. And there's absolute tragedy towards the end. That concluding scene really, really just underscores how how good she is, I think. Yeah. And in the BTS interviews, she was saying, I mean, she teared up, she welled up during the recording of that. And I'm not surprised. This was a very dramatic farewell, not just from the Doctor, but from the franchise, as far as she's aware at this point. Presumably, she doesn't know that there are more audiobooks coming. Her contract is up. And that probably translates into how the character of Lucy Miller is feeling as well. There is terrible sadness, and it's incredibly well done. That being said, I really like Doctor Who. Right. I want to do a podcast about that show I like, Doctor Who, not about Lucy Miller. And therefore, there's naturally a part of this audiobook that I feel was missing, and that is the Doctor. Like I said, I I didn't get enough Paul McGann in this. I didn't get enough Doctor. There wasn't enough wit. There wasn't enough, I don't want to say action, because I'm not, I'm also not after action, but there weren't enough plot points. I said earlier on, like an hour ago, I thought this story fairly banal. Like it's, it's fairly meager in terms of plot points. You could barely catalog the transition from, of Landak's many characters and body swaps. Okay, sure, that's, that may be true, but still, there are like three or four steps to this entire audiobook. It, it's only an hour long, by the way, but there are... It all, feels shorter than an hour. It does feel shorter, you're right. I think because not much happens in it. Most of the time is spent in that ether, and that is just the Lucy Miller show. If there had been more challenges faced by the Doctor, I would have bumped up my score. Yeah. Like, if he had struggled to, oh, wait, hang on, if we go over there, maybe we can tap into something. Oh, damn it, but there's a piece missing. Now we have to go over there and solve these puzzles. Damn it, that wasn't enough. Now we have to go there. Coordinate with other characters. Make this a little larger, grander in scale, and then it becomes more Doctor Who and slightly more interesting to me. So for that reason, I'm not as enthused as I thought I might be. I'm going to give this, I'll just jump straight to it. Oh, wait, hang on, actually, sorry, there's one thing missing from this audiobook, which I'm really glad is missing. Mm -hmm. The Sonic. We've had a few too many encounters with the Sonic screwdriver recently, and I'm just I'm just happy that everything wasn't solved with the Sonic. Yep, true. Yeah. Jump to it. Pat, great. Santa, great. Yada, yada, yada. Billy the Porter, great. But everything just feels a little underserved. I'm going to give this a... 
Oh, oh, I feel so bad after hearing JD's 4.8. I'm going to give this a, because of the dramatic conclusion, mm-hmm. three, yeah, 3.1. <laughs> wow. Okay, so I'm on board with most of your review. Uh-huh. I thought that it was a wonderful coda at the end, sitting on the beach. If If it had been the camera looking at her, it would have seemed cheesy, but just sitting there silently next to her, imagining us just spying on the scene, talking to herself. Yeah, she carries that off. She does that really well. My worry is, what does she do on Christmas Day? She's left all alone without the doctor, her aunt. She can't even go and meet the rest of her family who are still human for some comfort. Wait, oh yeah, that's right, sorry. Is she stuck now? Does she have to hide for a year? Yeah, the doctor's buggered off in his TARDIS. I don't think he's left her the diverter, the space thumb, the hitchhiker thing. So yeah, she's got to go into hiding or something. And McGann isn't Matt Smith. He can't pop back into 10-year-old Lucy Miller's bedroom one night and wrap up a huge present with an enormous bow tie and a card on top covered in question marks that when you open it, a little recorded message says, I know. (laughs) I mean, she is on her own. It's it's stark. of, Of her own volition, though, right? Yeah, and I suppose it's it's powerful that she is that <laughs> upset with him. It's like, no, this is my future, rather than hanging out with it. You have disillusioned me that deeply. I mean, that is that is something. And and you're right. Sheridan Smith carries off all sorts of range in this episode. Ah, mm. oh, I mean, there's there's lots of notes I've actually missed because I think there's a bit more to it than you think there is. Oh yeah, I think the writing while a little trite in places was on the whole pretty good it wasn't spectacular but it was mostly enjoyable i didn't laugh out loud but it's cozy and familiar and you know what that's some pretty christmasy feelings i've just described so i'm gonna give it a because it's christmasy three points nine 3.9 oh wonderful (laughs) (laughs) oh excellent review can I pull out two sound bites, by the way, that I made a note of? Go for uh, it. That I it really enjoyed. One is soundbite 11 minutes in. I'm all out of change. Well, earth change, anyhow. Mm. Shortly thereafter, 12 minutes in. What are you writing it down for? I was making a list. He's checking it twice. Oh, yes. I yes. quite like that one. Paul McGann just drops that so casually. Yes, he does. Yeah. That, that's oh, he's making a list. He's, ca- he's checking it twice. That is the sort of <laughs> side to Paul McGann I had not encountered previously, in which I was grateful to meet in this episode. Oh, he's great. You know, I, I've, oh, I'm already regretting my 3.9. Now I want to give this a higher score, actually. I want to give it a lower score. Marika, that, that bit at the end where she's saying, you work in hospital, you're good with people. How good is this Father Christmas with people between January and November, Marika? You're seeing him <laughs> at peak Father Christmas. He's going to... Drive that hospital into the ground. What gives you the right, Marika, to make h- hiring decisions? I mean, who are you anyway? Wait, so you want to lower your score a little bit? Nah, it's Christmas. I can't do that. It'd be like stealing presents from a child or Alan Barnes. <laughs> I'm a little tempted to bump mine up just one decimal point, but no. Okay, fine. I'll stand by it. Okie dokie. Listener minis. Let's. Listener minis. Now let's hear from podcast land. Max to 50 or it would get out of hand. So first up, we have a listener mini from Trenton Bless. Hello, Trenton. Hi, Trenton. Trenton begins. 
Now that I'm caught up with Big Finish's eighth Doctor Who adventures, I thought I'd join you guys on the final leg of the EDAs. What a story to start off the final series, Death in Blackpool. This story was to serve as the ending for Lucy Miller's story. It ties up all the loose ends from her era, including Auntie Pat's. I was sad to see Lucy go, as she's definitely become one of my favourite companions. It even added a new layer to the mythology of the Zygons with the Zynog. Think about it! I'm thinking. A Zygon who can't change their form anymore because they tried to turn into another Zygon. That's a pretty severe punishment for a Zygon. Over the course of listening to not only his main range appearances, but the EDAs as well, Paul McGann has become one of my favourite Doctors. Definitely in his top 13. Plus a special mention for John Hurt. <laughs> he hasn't dethroned the almighty Troughton as my favourite, says... <laughs> I love that, the almighty Troughton! <laughs> says Trenton, but he's definitely in my top four doctors, next to Hartnell, Capaldi and Troughton. He's more than the romantic that he was in the TV movie. Oh, we'll get to that. <laughs> Big Finish did him justice, and he's fantastic all the way through. Overall, Trenton would give Death in Blackpool the Trenton Bless seal of approval. Arr, 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 arr. <laughs> Definitely one of the best companion exits we've had in a long time. He raised this a 3.8 out of 5. So close, Trenton. You're so close there. <laughs> For Lucy Miller, he adds, this isn't goodbye. It's more of a see you later. <laughs> Thank you very much, Trenton. Dearest podcast land, please follow Trenton on Twitter. He is at Trenton Bless. That's Bless with two S's. Mm. Mm -mm. The next one comes from Chris Sorella. Hello, Chris. Long time no see. Haven't seen you since the Cannibalists. I believe so. And that review he wrote a full year before we actually reviewed that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for waiting, Chris. Yes, thank you very much. (laughs) Summer of Chris. Chris says, hello, Ponkin and Drew. Oh, hello. Oh, hi. (laughs) I'm glad he knows who I am. (laughs) Since it's been a while, I thought I would remind you a bit about Auntie Pat. Lucy's been obsessed with Auntie Pat throughout the EDAs and ran into it twice before. Horror Glam Rock and the Zygon Who Fell to Earth were both god-awful. Basically, Auntie Pat was nothing like Lucy remembered her in either story, and we learned that this is because she died in the Zygon Who Fell to Earth and was replaced by the titular Zygon. The Doctor knows this, but Lucy doesn't. Or didn't. Chris Sorella, hell of a fella, carries on. (laughs) As for this episode, I almost don't know how to begin. It's the final episode of the Auntie Pat arc. The start of the arc of the Doc's travels without Lucy. There you go. Hey. clearing that up. And has a tearjerker ending. Auntie Pat is finally likeable. And then (laughs) dies. Ain't it always the way? Lucy dies. Kind of. It would have been more dramatic if she hadn't been trapped in the afterlife in the last episode. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. There you go. The baddie is foiled and dies, but becomes likeable in the near-death existential crisis. And it has a Father Christmas, who has had a bit too many Christmas spirits and has my vote for the best <laughs> one-off character this episode. I wouldn't give it the 5 out of 5 JD talked about back in the day, but close enough. 4.7. Ooh. One last thing to note, the next EDA is Situation Vacant, but later episodes this season will all but require you to listen to An Earthly Child. It was a bonus episode available to Big Finish subscribers and features Carol Ann Ford, who played Susan Foreman. I see. There was a trailer for that audiobook ahead of this audiobook. Right. The very first serial, by the way, An Unearthly Child, Mm -hmm. which was Susan Foreman. We should write an unearthly adult. 
I mean, that's that's still open, isn't it? Okay, well, let's figure out what happens in this one, and then, then maybe we'll sit down uh, at the writing table. Thanks for getting back into the audios, says Chris Zarella. Nice one. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, for remembering us. <laughs> Okie dokie. That's it for Listener Miniland. Thank you very much. What have you got coming up? Well, aside of the Christmas bloopers Correct. and the potential bonus episode. Yes, Great Detective. Yep. We have N094, <gasps> The Snowmen. That's right. After that, we have a classic serial, namely C082, Pyramids of Mars. Oh my goodness, I'm so excited! I haven't been listening to the classics, I admit, but just from reading these previews out, it seems like this is a golden age for Doctor Who serial names. It really is, actually. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> like every one of Tom Baker's first season is just an iconic succession of words. Ark in space. <laughs> Planet of evil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so good. So good. <laughs> oh, Pyramids of Mars is, is fantastic. Until then, you can get in touch with us online. Drew, are you on Twitter, by chance? I am. Throw a dart at my Tweety board. I'm a Drew Bagwen. <laughs> <laughs> You can say hello to me as well. High-five me online. I will high-five you right back. I can be found at Ponken. And you can still follow JD. That's right. He's still Marius Kane with a K. Thanks, JD. <laughs> Thanks, JD. I forgot that that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, dear audience. You've been lovely. Until the next time, rock on, be rad next to each other. And cha-chao. Bye-bye. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. Don't have any friends? No problemo. Tell some strangers. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you on Google Plus? Find us on Google Plus. That's plus who back when. And when you do, tell us why you're on Google Plus. Who back when just got its very own Twitter account. No lie. So give us a follow. You guessed it. That's at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on SoundCloud, vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can leave a comment, submit a review of your own, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. Not only would it make us super chuffed, and it really, really would, but as thanks, we will transmigrate your iTunes nom de plume into the credit list of trailers for fake Doctor Who audiobooks produced by Who Back When. Have a poke around our bonus episodes to make more sense of that. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next classic Who review, new Who review, or, <laughs> still funny, audio Who review. Cha-chao. Who back when?